Welcome to the Business Gorillas Podcast, where the biggest, baddest, and most fearless business owners pull the curtains back and reveal their most tightly guarded secrets and strategies. With your host, serial entrepreneur and marketing visionary, Josh Rosenberg. Buckle up. It's time to get started. Hey, what's going on? This is Josh Rosenberg. You're here with the Business Gorillas Podcast. And today I've got my guest, Mr. Paul Daniels. And Paul has traveled the world. He's flown first class pretty much everywhere. He's got some insane <laughs> stories for his travels. Uh, just for a few minutes before we start recording this, he was telling me a couple little things that I just had to cut him off and said, no, 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 no. Save this for the podcast. This is great stuff. So I'm real excited about this. So Paul, welcome. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks, Josh. And um, the, the next time you call me Mr., we're going to have to hang up because I'm not a Mr., I'm just Paul. <laughs> Got it. No problem. No. So, uh, Paul, could you tell us about your business and what it is that you've been doing for the past 40 years or so? <laughs> well, most of that time I've been running away from the FBI, so that's not my real name. But uh, yeah, for the last 40 years, I've been running uh, team sales and I've worked as an entrepreneur. I've been in corporate America I've been CEO, chief revenue officer. I've been chief uh, bathroom cleaner, you know, everything in between. Uh, and I've been really successful in finding ways to help uh, my clients and companies find new paths to growth and innovation and to see things differently than they normally would. And that's helped, uh, you know, I've helped serve clients in 31 industries and in 27 countries, and we've generated two and a half billion dollars in, in annual revenue in that period of time, doing a whole bunch of a lot of different things. So I'll stop there and, and let you pick that part apart. Sure, sure. We don't need to spend too much time talking about uh, your work as an executive porcelain cleaner or whatever that was. <laughs> when you were. Uh, so we want to try to get to some of the more exciting stuff. So, uh, but before we jump into that, what was the very first business venture you ever started? I mean, even if you had a lemonade stand at five, what was your first taste that made you just want to jump into this world of working for yourself? Yeah, um, I think a lot of them, a lot of people start this way. A kid, I needed money and I had access to a lawnmower. And so I, I wrote my first flyers and uh, did them all by hand and walked around the neighborhood and hung them on the doors. So I did quote direct mail, like literally direct mail, no postage, and it, and I learned how to to speak their language. It was basically, are you tired of seeing your lawn grow too long? Do you just have don't have enough time to do it? Wouldn't you like to have someone do it every day or every week, same day, and know that it's going to get done? That's me. Here's my phone number. And within That's a week, a great pitch. Had a lot of uh, I had I had more than enough to work on. And within you know six months, I had other kids in the neighborhood working for me because we had expanded beyond the neighborhood. So um, That's awesome. that was my first taste, and it was nice to have some cash in my pocket to go you know buy gum and other silly things. And what's great is uh, most kids are so naive about this that the thought of them going out and doing it themselves doesn't really cross their mind. It also sounds like a lot of work. It's intimidating, knocking on doors, maybe putting up flyers. It could be a little bit embarrassing if you're, you know, if not comfortable with that. So even though you would, they would make less money working for you than if they did themselves with you, they had security. 
Right. They didn't have to think about anything. They knew, okay, Saturdays, I got uh, the Mr. and Mrs. Johnson's lawn at seven and then the Peter's lawns at eight 30 and boom. Then I got my $20 at the end of the day or, right you know, so it's a lot easier for them. So that's very cool that you thought to employ them at that age. Um, if you could think back about how many different ventures did it take for you to become successful? Cause we all know that there's no such thing as an overnight success. Yeah. Right. So uh, I'd, the, the first the first true venture, uh, I was in my early or mid-20s, and I started a sportswear design and manufacturing firm. And uh, I didn't know a lot about finance, but I had you know, an idea, and I found suppliers, and I had decent designs, and I could outsource the manufacturing of that. Uh, and my goal was to create something where the design was a focus. I was willing to give up some of the income in order to um, have other people take on the overhead of true manufacturing and logistics and some other things. And we got that up and running. I say we, I got that up and running pretty quickly. Uh, within six months, I was in, I had reps in 26 states in the US, including Hawaii, which is a big, a big market. Uh, and then we got big orders and I didn't know how to run cash flow. And the only way that I knew how to meet um, payroll for my team was to cut personal expenses. So I left my apartment and I lived in my car for two months uh, and I lived on $2 a day eating two hot dogs and a diet Coke once, you know, for the day, the AM PM, I could get two hot dogs and a big diet Coke for two bucks. And I lived in my car and I'd eat one at lunch, stick the other one on the dash, let the sun keep it warm and had the other one for dinner. And we made payroll, we, you know, we made it through that big order. And then I realized, you know, I really do need to learn more about the, the business of business. And that's when I took a detour and went into corporate America to understand more about corporate finance. How do you raise money, venture capital? Uh, how do you get loans? That kind of stuff. Because, you know, I, I left home at 18 and didn't really have a lot of lessons on how to run a business. So I was, I was literally flying by the seat of my pants. But it was successful. And then I sold the company to the marketing director when I went to corporate America for a little bit. That's really impressive that your first real venture when you're in your 20s with no experience, you know about, you know, outsourcing work and, and designating labor and having reps all over the place. You were willing to um, live in your car and eat hot dogs for several months. Um you know, most of my life growing up was well below the poverty line. And so my mom and I, we would take those blue boxes of dried pasta, you get at every supermarket for like a right. buck. Yep. And that was four meals right there. And right. then I learned, you know, walking around New York, there's all these um, food vendors on the streets. And you learn when their shift is going to be over soon, they just need to get rid of the food. So you can talk to them. And I was able to, to go instead of getting one hot dog for a dollar, if they were already cooked and they were just going to be thrown out. I know they got to give me three hot dogs for a dollar. And they, right. a lot of times they would, cause they just, yeah. they got nothing else to do. It's a buck more so, than they were going to get when they threw it away. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, what do you think there's, you would say is your secret sauce. The thing that you do, your superpower that moves the needle more than really anything else. So um, this is part of what I I've been doing now for uh, uh, decades and I've, I've formalized it, but the, the short story is there is, there's a set of secret super skills that about 10% of the population is born with. Now, they, they represent 
these 10% represent the majority, I'll say it again, the majority of history's most prolific innovators, from business pioneers to world-class athletes, scientists, artists, musicians, um, you name it, they're there. And what they do is they see the world very differently. They're born with these neuro connections in their brain that allow them to think and act differently than most people. These people are dyslexic. It sound, sounds kind of weird. You know, many people consider that a disease. It's not a disease, just a learning difference. But Einstein, Henry Ford, uh, Agatha Christie, John F. John F. Kennedy Jr., um, uh, Richard Branson, Muhammad Ali, Aaron Brockovich, uh, it, the list goes on. All of them were innovators, all dyslexic. And we've cracked the code. This dyslexic um, thinking skills have been named by the World Economic Forum and others that have studied it as the, some of the preeminent skills needed for companies to succeed in year 2025 and beyond. So 10%, 15% are born with it, but 20 to 30% of entrepreneurs and nearly 40% of self-made millionaires are dyslexic. In fact, NASA is about 50% dyslexic and they actively recruit people with dyslexia. Okay, so here's the good news. We've cracked the code and so I've created peripheral thinking, which is all of these skills translated for people that are neurotypical. So my super skill is I am dyslexic. So I think, see things that most people miss. I make connections between different forms of information that others just dismiss as um, unrelated. Uh, and I've come up with, you know, first ever, largest ever, um, biggest ever, uh, never before done throughout my entire history because of that. And that's my, my super skill. And now I'm excited because I get a chance uh, over the last several decades to share it with leaders and show them what these people like Einstein and Edison and the Wright brothers, what they saw uh, and still, you know, what they see as dyslexics. And when the light bulb goes on, Josh, I'm telling you, it is like, it's like Christmas day for me to see that light bulb go on with my clients and other people, they get it. And I go, there you go. Now you're starting and their real world changes. It's awesome. It's just awesome. That's very cool. And uh, I like the fact that you, you've kind of systematized this because otherwise you just have to tell all these people go out there and uh, give yourself a little bit of brain damage, maybe get, right. somehow make yourself dyslexic, right. you know, change your, your gray matter in a little, in a, in a few different ways, but we don't have to do that. Right. And the brain so is very elastic because the brain's elastic. You can create those neurotransmitters so that you do have, see, uh, um, a dyslexics physically have a broader peripheral vision. We actually see more in our periphery than most people do. Right, unless we have eye problems or whatever, but we it's just a, a medical fact. But you can create those neurotransmitters so that anyone can virtually see more in the periphery. That's very cool. And you work with um, uh, businesses in kind of every vertical, every industry, or do you stay yeah. focused in just certain ones? Well, you know, it, it, you're, I want to, I, I stay focused in primarily um, uh, entrepreneurial ventures, uh, businesses, business owners, revenue 25 million to 250 million. It, that's kind of the sweet spot. But, you know, I've worked for, with um, executives in uh, $10 billion uh, industries, in 
$10 million companies and $5 million companies. It's, it's less that. It's more if they're experiencing um, challenges and growing has become stale and what they've been doing for years that's worked year after year after year is now starting to slow down. It's not working. They're working harder and getting less. Um, those are the folks that that need some help in seeing their world from outside of the normal conventional wisdom industry best practices. So you are kind of more of a, a consultant. So I don't know if this next question, question is really going to uh, apply to you because it seems that you you don't have a whole lot of direct competition. A lot of other like uh, agencies popping up all over the place that do what you do. Um, but is there anything that you come across in your day-to-day life and business-wise that just makes your blood boil, that you just, it, it puts a bad taste in your mouth and you wish people would stay away from it? Sure. Well, I, I mentioned briefly about this, but uh, conventional wisdom is designed to help inform you of the approach that is most common and has been sort of proven to work. The same thing in any industry, you're going to find industry best practices. In logistics, we do it this way. In healthcare, we do it this way. And that's fine. But both of those are meant to, to set a standard. They're not set to excel. They're set to standardize. And because they're set to standardize, they're setting you up for mediocrity, not for huge trajectory. And that in itself absolutely drives me crazy. Even, even the phrase, oh, Paul, you, you think outside the box. I, I appreciate that. But here's a tip. I have no box because even having a box is a, pre, is, is a predefined uh, constraint. So I don't, I don't have a box. So we, we just need to think. Not inside a box, outside a box, just think. And what drives me crazy is the it's always been done this way. Or wait, Paul, you know, I hear that, but my company, we're different. See, we're, we're special. And I appreciate that. And I, I love on them. And I say, I know. And you heard from your grandmother or grandfather when you were little, they squeezed your cheek and they said, you know what, Josh, you are special. You are a one of a kind. And that's true. But your business may not be. Right. So what what drives me crazy is people thinking, hmm, I can't take stuff from the outside because uh, this is the way we've always done it. And we're going to be, quote, inventive by iterating on our current understanding of this market. When what you're saying is, is that uh, that hack Robert Frost can suck it. Uh, and for anyone who doesn't get the joke, he, he wrote uh, The Road Less Travel, telling people to, to uh, actually, in the, the poem, he talks, tells people to take the road that's more traveled because it's safe and how going off on your own can be dangerous and uncertain. That's what I'm saying. He yeah. And did it. you know that, that that poem is actually a sarcastic note to his friend who went on walks in it with him in the afternoon, right? And he, he was always lamenting that, oh, maybe we should have taken that other path. No, maybe we should. No, should, and and it was Frost that said that it was really, literally a joke to him, saying, "Look, dude, it's not about the path; it's about the journey." And what are we yeah. doing when we're on that path? Are we experiencing it, or are we just going from point A to point B? Make sense? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and so and my clients are, are are finding solutions 
all around the world and all around their office and just around the corner at Fred's Coffee Shop. They're, the solutions that they're looking for are available. They just need to open up their eyes. Absolutely. And at Fred's Coffee Shop, if, he's, if Fred there is uh, resourceful enough to figure out a better way to do something, it's a small coffee shop. He can make that change very quickly and test it out and see. And maybe right. he doesn't have a big budget, but it's an experiment. Then you go to a giant corporation with 100,000 employees and you know, you're going to find that their IT is still using Windows 95 because it takes that long for them to make any changes. Right. Because you know what I do with them? Yeah. And so with those folks, I take them to Fred's coffee shop. My clients, literally, and it's not a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. I do this thing where we go to a bakery, a donut shop, and we we get together in the same city and we go to a donut shop and I wake them up at 2.30 because we have to be there at 3.30 and we work till about six to eight. And then we grab a dozen donuts, get off. And we sit around on the, on the curb with c- coffee and these donuts. And we talk about what you learn. And they're all from different industries. I had a banker and a guy who runs, um, you know, a national um, a construction company, a home building firm, um, someone in the software industry. And they'll, they'll say, well, you know, I kind of like this, this, and this. Go, no, 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 look further, look deeper. What else did you learn? And then they start to talk to each other. Well, Joe, you, you ought to consider, did you see how they, how they lined that up and that production line? I know you're in finance, but is there a way to maximize the efficiencies of that kind of a production line with dealing with your clients without losing that client touch? And then they start- You can to- absolutely do that with something like accounts receivable. How much money do companies typically not collect because they'd have no systems for their AR. Perfect. Perfect example. You got it, Josh. Exactly. So you just, in your mind, meant, went to a donut shop and you stacked back there and you started to think, how do they do that? Oh, okay. That's the principle. That's the lesson. Hmm, cool. So how can I apply that? That's where it stops most of the time. It's, oh, that's cool. Stop. I say, take one more step. So now how can I apply that? What's that lesson? Can I apply it to a challenge? I've got a goal I'm going after. And it's just flipping awesome because the solutions are already there. You don't have to make stuff up. You just plug and play. Absolutely. And it's funny, as soon as you were saying this, it made me think this past summer, my girlfriend and I, we went to botanical gardens and they have this um, sort of like a rest stop area with a food court. And, you know, there's all different kinds of little restaurants and stuff there. And there's one that has its line out the door, down the road. It's probably a hundred people single file. And the rest of them are, are very, very short lines. So we made the mistake. And we said, you know what? That one over there, that looks uh, like it has no line. Let's go check it out. And we realized these people couldn't get a simple pizza out in 20 minutes. They couldn't do it. It was, everything was bottlenecked. Nobody knew that their ass from their elbows. But the line that uh, was really long it was actually moving incredibly fast. They were making sandwiches and everybody had a station. There were six people behind the counter and they moved at the speed of light. Yep. So they just yep. learned to systematize it. And when you're talking right. about um, thinking completely differently and acting differently, uh, a number of years ago, do you remember when there was a huge craze in reality TV shows about flipping houses and yeah, that's right. everywhere? Yeah, right. So I had a, a college friend that moved back home to a rural area of the Pacific Northwest And he got really into these shows and decided that he wanted to start flipping houses. Mm -hmm. And he knew that my family had worked in real estate. I worked in it for a little bit. So he he calls me up. 
And he's worried because he doesn't know how to get a house. He doesn't know how to negotiate the price, how to get the financing and fix it up. He doesn't know how to then turn around and market it and flip it. And so I said, oh, okay. So you know how to do absolutely nothing other than watch a TV <laughs> show. Got it. Right. Um, so he gets, you know, a little bit of courage and he's ready to do this, but he doesn't know where to find good off market houses. Cause if you're going to a broker or yeah, a listing right. site, you're going to be paying full price. Right. So, I said, all right, well, what's your area like that you live in? He says, it's Pacific Northwest rural farm area. I said, done. I know exactly what this is. I said, uh, this is an area where at night when they turn off the lights, you hear nothing. There's, it is pitch black and it's silent. Your mind is going to go crazy. I said, I want you to start taking out billboards. And uh, uh, when people go to diners, those little paper placemats, yeah, yeah. I want you to take out ads on those that says, we buy haunted houses fast. Because everybody in that area, their mind is going to go a little bit. This is why the, everyone yeah. thinks they saw Bigfoot or aliens or whatnot. Right, right. So if you live in this house and you've got a creaky cabinet that opens and shuts, most likely it's there's just a simple fix and that cabinet will be fine. Right. But it, to you, your mind is so gone, you think your house is haunted. Yep. So he starts taking out those ads and boom, now he's a real estate flipper. There you very go. quickly, his career yeah. took off. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And it's just seeing that from a different perspective. I'm a, I'm, yeah. I am a collector of perspectives and a connector of people. And I love both of them. And when they come together, oh, absolutely. it's awesome. And when you're working in a business, you're the, the operator, the owner, you can't see the forest through the trees. You get so right. close to it right. that you can't see what you can't see. Absolutely. And I've got a, I've got a business, uh, a music education business that I'm looking to rebuild so I can um, uh, structure the whole thing differently to um, uh, eventually sell it. Because the mm -hmm. way that it's set up right now, it's not that attractive. I get a two and a half X multiple. I want much higher. Yeah. Um, but I brought in a friend of mine. I, I, you know, I've known this woman for a very long time. And I said, I want to make you CEO. I want you to redo it because you don't know anything about my business. You know, the music industry, she's been a rock star since the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, and she's in a brilliant marketer. And I said, I want to make you CEO. You tell me what to do and I'll do it. But I don't want to make those decisions anymore because it's just not going to serve me correctly. Right. And a lot of times when a business is hiring somebody like yourself, it's for that same reason. They can't see what they can't see. But for right. you to come in there with a 30,000 foot perspective and you have zero emotional ties to it, it's almost like not giving a shit is a superpower unto itself. <laughs> kind because, of, yeah. Because you're going to be uh, very neutral to a lot of things. Emotionality is not going to get in the way and interfere your judgment and your decision making. Right. You're going to look at, it's binary. It's yes or no. Is it a good idea or a bad idea? Plain and simple. Yeah. yeah. Now, I will say that I am, I, I am an emotional guy. You can probably tell just by my voice uh, that I get pretty amped up about certain things. And so when I work with clients, I, I want huge success for them. Uh, and so, yes, I do have kind of a black, white, yes, no, try this, try that. Um, let's do this. Uh, but ultimately, I can't want it more for them than they do. If they don't want it, I can't make them want it. At the same time, you, you mentioned, I, I may not see my own blind spots, which is why I have coaches. You know, I've got sure. people that coach me to make sure that I'm running my business in a way that is uh, efficient and it's profitable and that I've, I've, I've got good legs for it to continue to grow and grow and grow. And I've got multiple paths for different revenue streams and so on. 
So uh, we're not meant to do this alone. Uh, doing it by you know living, living in your car for two months, uh, eating two hot dogs a day, uh, you know that'll last you for just a little while. But that was never the plan to stay there, right? And and you've got to no. move beyond that. No, I mean you're you're not going to go to sleep with you know a grumbling empty stomach, <laughs> but nutritionally it's terrible for you. <laughs> right. You can't do that long term because you drop dead of a heart attack right there in your car. <laughs> yeah, you know, true. Yeah, but the great part was. This is when I learned that the condiments were free. So I didn't like onions. I didn't like, you know, relish or mustard, but it's free. So I loaded, <laughs> loaded them all up and you just get, yeah, you, you, uh, I think everybody should be dirt poor for a while and realize how much they can do, how resourceful they are and how much they can go without. Yeah. It's uncomfortable for sure. Yeah. But you learn all these uh, hacks, almost survival tricks, not survival as in you're out in the wilderness, yeah. but survival in that here, I'm going to learn to make myself comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to stand eat. by the, the guy at the hot dog stand because I know he's, he's about done. Now's the time for yeah. me to pick up some hot dogs, three for a dollar. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you go, you get a whole rotisserie chicken. Those are at the supermarket. Those are usually very affordable and those can last you a few days. Right. And eventually, you know, it's dried out. It's moisture's all gone. It's not that great. Okay, cool. But now you can make chicken salad. Uh -huh. You know, you, you can right. learn just like after Thanksgiving, when you've got all those leftovers that are lasting you a week and eventually you're turning them into different kinds of sandwiches with Turkey and stuffing inside the sandwich, right. and just creative ways to make it the food, to eat the food before it spoils. And, you know, yeah. so that's you just kind of how you have to live life for a while. Right. And you just described a, a, a skill called inventing and that's taking what you have and looking at it differently and squeezing the most value out of it in the most different ways that you can and by doing that, you you generate some momentum. So you got this luscious turkey uh, or chicken, and then it starts to get dry. Now I got chicken salad, um, and, or I've got you know sandwiches, and then chicken salad or whatever. It continues to grow. But as you do each of those, you're learning more things that can be tangential um, in in a business perspective, right? If you take that and apply that to a business, are you is everybody doing the most they can with what they have? right now and are they applying it in a way that is innovative so that it attracts more people more clients more um people that want to join the company whatever that is more investors uh yeah again i think everybody should be poor for a while because it's awesome it's an awesome training ground one of the lessons that i was taught many years ago was uh about basically it has to do with apples and the idea was, uh, if you found a secret spot that had discount produce and you could buy an apple for 50 cents and turn around and sell it for a dollar, and you could keep doing this over and over, is that a good business? And so, of course, everybody would hear that and say, yeah. They said, well, what if you could take that apple you bought for 50 cents, hmm. shine it up real nice, take some photos of it, and sell those to a stock photography site where you're going to get paid passively in royalties. You hire some pretty model and then pay her an exposure to pose for ads for that kind of apple write a little bit of copy about how this is the best most versatile kind of apple you can use it for anything and now you can turn around and sell for 350 right right you know it's it's the 100%. resourcefulness absolutely and that's a that's a big part of dyslexia you know we grow up being the kids the dumb kids in school i was told i was stupid dumb 
lazy, a daydreamer, and I'm busting my hump trying to keep up with the class, but I can't read. And, and we just become very resourceful at being able to read body language, see things around us, uh, take cues from different, uh, different sources, all just to try and make it through. But at the end of the day, you know, in the position I'm in now, even, even as I got into corporate world, I was still told I was an outsider. I don't think the same as the rest of the people, blah, blah, blah. And yet I was still driving, you know, huge revenue and changes and, you know, achieving things that people hadn't achieved before, but they still were kind of wanting to discount it because I wasn't normal. Like, yeah, okay. Well, so what? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm not normal. And now I'm, you know, going back to some of them and they're saying, please, would you come and be our consultant? Would you be our guide? Would you be our coach? Because we want to learn what you know. Oh, now I'm, I am what you want. Okay. My, my price just went up, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, it, the price always goes up. That's right. never a question, but uh, going back to something you said earlier about how having standard operating procedures is putting you in a box and confining you and taking away any kind of personality and, and differentiator. It even starts before that it starts the day you have a job that says we need you to uh, wear a suit to work and you have a choice between black or dark blue, right? Pinstripes are flat. Yep. There's no freedom in that. I right. understand you don't want people running around in a t-shirt and, and all that you need a, some level of, of professionalism, but the entire suit industry is built on everyone looking the same, being the same right. setting um, KPIs for people is dictating this is the number that I want you to hit. And if there's a lot of companies do not have a reward structure built in, meaning that if you go above the KPIs, you get a kickback. A lot of companies don't have that. So now as soon as you hit your number for the year, for the quarter, you're going to stop working. Right. Right. And I, and I, you know, the the companies that I lead and people that are reported to me, they, they love the fact that there are no caps, that there are accelerators and I've, I've carried a bag. I know exactly what that's like. I've, I've had a team where we had a, a $10 million quota uh, and we beat it and we meet it by October. And on, in November, I'm told what my next year's quota is. And it's 150 million. I went from 10 million to 150 million. The company never done more than 50 million globally. And now I've got 12 months to do 150 million. In six months, we did 220 million. Because we did things that were completely uh, counterintuitive. They were unconventional. And it set the trend. That's awesome. It set the trend then going forward. Uh, And I'm sure you have to have those disruptions in order to to make it. Now, the the company wasn't wasn't trying to, you know, show, let me show my best. I think the company was just like, let's give him a huge quote. He'll quit. We'll get somebody else in here, blah, blah, blah. But that, that's neither here nor there. We still achieved it and it was a great success. And uh, it was just because I saw things differently. Yeah, of course. And also this is an area that you have a lot of uh, negotiation. If you know, you're going to hit that goal. If you're marching towards it, you see that goal at the end is in sight. You can basically go to your boss and say, I want a higher um, uh, slice of the pie. I want a bigger commission. I want a bigger bonus. I want a bigger reward. Yeah. I've got this deal on the table right now that will single-handedly get us across that finish line. So here's how much money I want for it. 
And yep. if they say yes, great. And if they say no, they're going to get fired because they just now refused, you know, mm-hmm. to take in $50 million or whatever that, that large right. sum of money was. Right. So you, you kind of have them over a barrel when they do something like that, in, which in is great. Some ways, yeah. In, in some ways, the, the, in, in this case, um, it was a, it was a good um, commission package and all that stuff. What they did after was they cut the commission in half retroactively. And they said, well, first of all, we never thought you'd do it. Second, um, we can't imagine paying you this. And if what happens if your team sold a billion dollars? Said, yeah, that'd be a great thing. So yeah. the, the point isn't necessarily to beat up on corporate America, uh, but the, the point is that as entrepreneurs, as owners of companies, even as solopreneurs, our goal is to make sure that what we're delivering has value and the price that we charge for that is value-based. And the people that are working with us or for us, that we recognize the, the value that they're bringing to this endeavor and that we reward them accordingly. Yes, there are some positions that I can get for $6 an hour in the Philippines. I've got a virtual assistant there. That's awesome. And, and six is outstanding. And raise it to seven, raise it to 10. Doesn't matter. She, she's terrific. It, it matches her lifestyle. And I'm using all of the strengths that she has. So the key is is finding what that strength is, play that strength, and make sure that that is being rewarded accordingly, and that as a, an entrepreneur that you're pricing it accordingly. I'm, I don't charge by the hour. I charge by here's what this program does to help you. Um, here's what those expected results are. Here's the fee. I can do it in two hours. I can do it in two months. What do you care? The result is the result, and it's pales in comparison to what it is that that we charge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if the result is greater than the fee and you're doing all of the work, then the answer should be yes. Now, of course, if you're saying, you know, I'm going to make you a hundred dollars and my fee is $99 and 95 cents, that's asking way too much, right? you know, but um, the, the idea is still the same now, especially if it's something that you control every, every aspect of that, they don't have to lift a finger that you're bringing in the team and the resources and putting the pieces together and it doesn't cost them any energy at all. That's a tremendous uh, amount of value right there. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's, you know, those are fewer and further between, um, in, at least in my line of business, because I do rely on those people. I'm teaching them something. I want them to apply what they're learning. And if they apply what they're learning and they do it in according, uh, you know, in a certain structure that I've outlined for them, the results are 2x, 3x revenue, the um, 5% cost uh, reduction in their operating expenses, uh, 30% productivity improvement with the people that they have based on certain KPIs and so on, all that's worth $10 million. So I'm going to charge less than that, but it's not going to be $1.95. No, of course not. I got a, a colleague that um, he finds where businesses are losing money and where all these holes are and he helps to close those holes. And one of the first clients he got was this humongous giant law firm in Midtown Manhattan, a skyscraper office building, you know, thousands of lawyers work there and all that. And after about two weeks, he realized that they are bleeding $10 million a year in Mm. things that could easily be patched up and fixed and moved around and reconfigured. And for that, he charged $4 million. Now that was a $4 million one-time fee, but this is $10 million that they're going to save every single year. Yep. Yep. 
So that sounds like a lot. And it, it was a lot of no. money. I mean, that's a ton of money, but it's worth it. That's perfectly accurate. Absolutely. That's perfect. The The deal that uh, I told you about the $220 million, our client for that that deal, our client used the savings and some of the, the financial transactions that we did between each other. And they, they um, used that as a war chest to go after their largest deal ever, which turned out to be $1.2 billion annually. So their ROI has, has a comma in it. <laughs> you know, it's not 100% or, I mean, it's huge. Uh, yeah. So, of course, they love us. And of course. And, and it's good. And it's not just easy tricks and all that stuff. All of this stuff is hard. Life is hard. Sure. I get that. But the, the fun thing about being an entrepreneur is that you can you determine your um, your value. The market determines their interest. So I know the value that I bring. I know what I have done. The market determines whether or not they're interested in me. And together, we, def- we define what that return on their interest or their return on in- investment is. In any kind of negotiation, you're, you've got two parties. One of them decides the the price and the other decides the terms. And, you know, as the entrepreneur and the service provider, you're getting to decide your price. They may have certain terms for that, you know, or it could be vice versa. You could say, these are the terms of how I want to work. And this is what I expect out of you, the client to provide me. And they say, okay, and we will in exchange give you X percent or X amount of dollars. So it's very, um, it's a great lesson for people to realize which side they're on and to get mm-hmm. good at negotiating their side. Absolutely. Yeah. Negotiation. Uh, highly recommend um, our Harvard Business School's uh, courses on negotiation. They're some of the best uh, that I've, I've done, um, that I've been in in the world. So no plug necessarily about Harvard, but it's just one that I've experienced, been through several of those. They, they've they've got it nailed. And it's not the kind of negotiation that you think. It's not the hard nose kind of thing. It's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, if that's a little bit out of somebody's reach, I love the book uh, Start With No by Jim Camp. That was the very first book I ever read negotiation. And it's great. It's very accessible and easy to pick up. So if you're not really a salesy person and that sales scares you, Start With No is a really good first step. Yeah. Um, All right. So now the fun part. Okay. Uh, I want to hear some kind of crazy story, some adventure, something nuts that happened that uh, you that you got to experience that um, if you were stuck in a cubicle, you probably wouldn't have. <laughs> you know, Josh, I don't have anything interesting to say. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there was a time it was uh, uh, maybe 10 years ago, I think about that. Um, I did a, a two week trip with some friends to Nigeria. And we went there um, as part of a mission and um, uh, medical outreach and some other things. And our first day in country, we flew in. Of course, we got there late and and all that. And unfortunately, the president of the, of the country was visiting the city that we flew into, which was Port Harcourt. Uh, and as we we left the uh, airport, we got stuck in all kinds of traffic because you know they they're blocking off roads. It took us forever to get out of the city. And because we weren't staying there, we were in kind of deeper in South Africa, uh, excuse me, in Southern Nigeria, um, jungly kind of part. And about every two miles, there would be a burning trash can in the middle of the road. And it was a stop, you know, kind of a security stop. 
but not all of those were really official. And we got stopped at one of those and pulled over. And it was two guys that were wearing mismatching um, uniforms. Uh, one was holding an AK uh, and one was holding a bolt action rifle. The one holding the bolt action rifle was pointing that one at me and he wasn't more than maybe 13. And he was very nervous, shaky hands. You can imagine, you know, there I am. And I don't speak Abibio. I don't, I don't speak this language, but our interpreter's there and is trying to be very calm. And then something happens and these little walkie-talkies start going off, just lots of chatter. And I hear in the distance this motorcycle coming and they're screaming and our uh, our, our um, translator says, uh, a motorcycle just blew through the last checkpoint and they want these guys to stop this one. So the there were a lot of things happening that they both kind of took a step back and that 13 year old was still pointing that thing right at my head and the motorcycle came right between us. And I, I knew in a split second that the kid was so nervous, he's gonna pull that trigger. And it's going to go off somewhere. Now it didn't go off. They they ran back. They ran after him. Some other guys came out of the jungle and they took off after the motorcycle that stopped another you know quarter mile down the road. And then our uh, guide just said very calmly, "All right, let's get back into the car uh, to the van." So we got back in the van. As we're pulling away, I thought to myself, "So that's what it feels like to be completely out of control." Like you have no control over anything other than just your body. And so I remember looking at that 13 year old as I was standing there thinking, the only weapon I have is to look in his eyes and just keep nodding saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. And I would just That's kind of enough. say that enough, trying to calm him down. As we pulled away, I looked back over my shoulder and sticking out of the bush, were a pair of legs. So there was a dead body just 20 feet from us that I, I don't know, never went back that way, have no idea what happened, but I know what I saw and I certainly know what I felt. And um, the adrenaline was really something. And my knees were knocking for about another 30 minutes <laughs> sitting there in this cramped van. Uh, and we all just kind of looked at each other and went, okay, so that's the start of this trip. And the rest of the trip was just fantastic. You know, lovely people had a great time. Um, it, that moment in time does not determine what the next moment in time is going to be. But you need to be no. present in that moment of time to make it to the next moment of time. I mean, it, in an odd way, it could feel comforting because it could remind you of every elementary school here in America. Kids with the, the rifles and all that. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's at a point where now it's just making making sick jokes as a coping mechanism rather than anything else. Yeah. Um, but if you could go back to your younger days and tell your younger self who's just getting started um, some lessons that you have now, what would you do differently? How would you influence yourself if you could uh, or like if you could just go back in time and with yeah. the knowledge you have now and do it over, what would you do differently? There's, there's one specific thing that I would do differently. Ask for help. Frequently, mm. often, and, and uh, un, unashamedly ask for help. 
and continue to ask until you get the help that you need. As an entrepreneur, I don't, I can't speak for all entrepreneurs, but I know for myself, you know, I, I've been a very independent person my entire life. Asking for help still is difficult for me. But had I known that, I probably would have sold that fashion firm for tens of millions of dollars instead of just basically giving it away and uh, for a net near a net zero uh, um, gain. Asking for help and finding people that are willing to share advice with you. That's, that's what I would have done because I would have learned more about finance. I would have learned how to raise money. I would have learned how to get working capital. I would have done a number of other things that would have uh, bolstered that business where I felt like, oh, okay, I'm learning what I ultimately learned by going into corporate America for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and understanding how finances work, it's that's not something my brain really comprehends well. I need a basic, I need a calculator to do basic addition and subtraction. Yeah. But the the being able to talk about it and understand how lending works and all that, it makes a lot of sense. And that part's not that scary, but a lot of people get intimidated by that. Um, sure. So, you know, bringing in someone to be your finance, your uh, money manager or your CFO, mm -hmm. that's, that's a great hire to bring in a lot of times. Absolutely. Even if they're just an advisor, you know, you can uh, carve out 10% equity for them on a, an advisory role or 5% equity, have them tell you the, all this stuff that you don't know that you don't know. And now yep. you're going and selling that business for a whole lot more than you otherwise would have. Yeah. hundred percent, Josh. And it, and it, whether it's finance, or operations, or mm -hmm. human resource, whatever that is. No, there's no executive, there's no CEO, there's no entrepreneur that I know of that is an expert at all facets of their business. They aren't. No, no, absolutely not, not. To do that. So my point still stands, ask for help, seek help, find it, learn, um, apply it. If it's not working, find more help, but just keep asking for help. That's what Absolutely. I think would change a lot of things for me. So, Paul, if somebody wanted to learn more about you, reach out to you, check out your, your work, any of that stuff, yeah. how can they go about doing that? Yeah, there's a couple of ways. Uh, you can just go to my website. It's Paul Daniels Jr., P-A-U-L-D-A-N-I-E-L-S-J-R.com. Uh, and you can also find me uh, on LinkedIn. I post on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. At least now I'm ramping up. And I've got a newsletter, all that stuff you can find on LinkedIn. It's Paul Daniels, JR. I'm in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of the United States. Uh, and, all, and both of those will get you to other places. I have a YouTube site where I do my peripheral thinking videos. I'm, a, I'm a, a professional speaker, international speaker. And my speeches are on my YouTube site. And they're also on my website um, for people that are interested in having me speak uh, or advising or just want to connect. I love, like I said, I love connecting people and I love collecting perspectives. That is awesome. Paul, thank you very much for your time. This has been a ton of fun. Uh, clearly you're very experienced in what you do. Uh, you've done a whole lot, which is awesome. Uh, so again, pauldanielsjr.com. Paul, thank you very much. And I will catch you all next time. Thank you for listening to the Business Gorillas Podcast. If you're a highly successful entrepreneur and want to be a guest, go to businessgorillaspodcast.com and fill out the form. Remember to share us on social media. Click the subscribe button. 
leave us a five-star rating and review if you got anything out of the show. Feel free to connect with us on social media. If you're looking to connect with world-class top marketers and some of the most experienced fractional chief marketing officers in the world today, head on over to verygoodmarketingconsultants.com. On behalf of your host, Josh Rosenberg, thank you for listening to the Business Gorillas Podcast. 